I wonder what you thought when you first came to London. Uh, there are so many options, so many choices. And I think basically wherever you've come from feels small compared to London as you arrive. I don't know what your experience was. Well, over the last 30 years, on countless occasions, I have met people who are new to this city, and I've given them a little tour of the parish, the local area, and so we'll meet outside on the steps, and then we'll do our little tour. So there's the uh, Langham Hilton opposite, the first hotel in England to have water closets, bathrooms, and hydraulic lifts, so amazing hotel. There's Queen's College, which was the first girls' school uh, in Britain. Uh, there's... Um, uh, 57 Wimpole Street, where the Beatles lived and Paul McCartney wrote yesterday, woke up and wrote the lyrics there. There's, uh, do you see the King's Head pub uh, there? Well, it has the Charles Wesley uh, plaque on it. And that was the first place where many of Wesley's hymns were performed in a little chapel next to that. So we do the walk of the parish and then we swing back into All Souls. I used to take people up on the roof, but health and safety have now removed my ladder, which is partly why I'm going, actually. But, um, <laughs> but, but then as we come into uh, All Souls here, uh, interestingly, as you come into this uh, 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 forum here, there is a choice. Uh, at the back there, there is the Royal Christ, because this is a crown appointment, this church. It was a Waterloo church, built as Thanksgiving for victory over the French at Waterloo. So we gave the French a good kicking, and lovely to have you here if you're French. Welcome. <laughs> so do you see there is the organ, the lion, the gold leaf, the crown, and it is all about the West End being something of power and status. It's a crown appointment. Now, by contrast, behind me, behind the screen there, uh, is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Eki Homo, Behold the Man, presented to the church by George IV. And Jesus is crowned, as you can perhaps see, but he has a crown, not of gold, but of thorns. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as you come to London, expresses his greatness in serving. He goes to die for our sins, for stray sheep, as we've already heard. The night before he died, he washed his disciples' feet. Uh, John Stott was a vicar here in this parish, and he once spoke about James and John, two of the disciples, in comparison to Jesus. And they have asked for thrones, and he says of their request for thrones, either side of Jesus, we have to choose. We have to get down off the throne and up onto the cross. It's self-seeking or self-sacrifice. It's power or service. You have to choose. Now, interestingly, you probably wondered why we had two passages read here. Do you see it was a long old reading there on page 1008? I wonder if you've got it in front of us. But actually, the choice that there is here in the architecture of the building with these two uh, uh, pictures here actually is echoed in the passage. So there are two gatherings. And the question is, which one would you rather be at? Two gatherings. Here they are. Which one would you rather be at? Now, first of all, there is Herod's party. I wonder if you can see a bit about it here as we look down in verse 21. Do you see in verse 21? Finally, the opportune time came on Herod's birthday. Uh, 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 on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So the royal palace is the venue of this party. There is opulence, there is grandeur, there is the best food in the Roman Empire. And can you see the guest list? High officials, military commanders, the leading men of Galilee. Can you imagine how pleased you would be 
in your home, in the homes across Galilee, when this invitation comes on the map. I mean, it's a bit like Buckingham Palace, isn't it? I've had an invite. I'm going. Won't it be marvellous? Think about the contacts and the networking. You would want your little card, wouldn't you, to be giving out that night. Amazing in terms of status and network and power. And then also, just as we look down, I wonder if you can see it here. It's not just the status and the networking. Have a look at verse 22. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Now, can I say, this is not a little girl doing ballet. Uh, She's not a little girl. The word pleased is sexually uh, pleased. It's got that connotation. So that's what's going on there. It's titillating. It's almost like a, a sort of stag night that Herod is putting on. And now look at the coast, King Herod, because this is full throttle testosterone. You don't get this in the provinces. This is the capital and this is the king. So here's real royal power. Do you see what he says in verse 22? Ask me for anything you want, I'll give it to you. There he is, swanking in front of all the men to this girl. Ask me whatever you want and you'll get it. Anything up to half my kingdom. What an offer. Now, the second one that we had here, I didn't know what to call it, so I called it the Sunday school picnic with Jesus. (laughs) The Sunday school picnic with Jesus. I mean, that's what we've got here. Have a look at verse 39. If you look down, I wonder if you can see it there. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So that's what we've got here. And by the way, there are 5,000 men, let alone the women and children that would have been there. So no one is excluded. Everyone is welcome. You imagine as uh, the boat was coming into there and, uh, and Jesus looks out and people are in white and they're on the grass. They might have looked a bit like sheep, all those people. And they eat a little boy's packed lunch. That's what they have at this Sunday school picnic. And what do they do at the party? Well, have a look down at verse 34. What does Jesus do? So he began to teach them many things. So there are 5,000 people there. And Jesus preaches sermons all day. Oh, my goodness. Sermons all day. Well, I don't know what you make of that. I don't know how you would feel about it. But uh, uh, that's where we are. I once rang up a guy I'd known from rugby circles, and I rang him up to ask him to All Souls, to a service. I rang him up, and I said, do you want to come along to the 5.30? And he replied, Rico, I'd love to. But actually... I'm going to Vegas to watch Mike Tyson fight. What do you want to do? 5.30 at All Souls or on the plane to Vegas to watch Mike Tyson? I rang up another guy. Can I tell you, I don't know these sort of people often, but I've been, uh, uh, his parents have given me his number. And I said, I said, would you like to come along? He said, I'm at Davos at the Economic Forum. I'm assisting Bill Gates with a the seminar. There was a slight sneer in his voice. Do you want to come and hear about Jesus or do a seminar with Bill Gates? What do you want to do? <laughs> but, you know, as we come to this passage, the thing is, you've got to think about the morning after. How do you think the morning after felt? I mean, his wife has sought to trap him. He doesn't want this head on a platter. He liked John. But there are splits and traps and there's bloodshed. And his daughter having been sexually degraded, because that's what it was. She's treated as a plaything. Well, there's a platter lying there. That was her reward. And she could have asked for anything. And instead, 
She asks for the head of a righteous and holy man when people across the land know that this is the finest preacher in the land. And she's got his head chopped off amidst what she's in the midst of. So John's disciples come. You talk about the morning after. They come and they come to collect a headless body. I mean, imagine waking up there and you wake up at 3 p.m. after it's all happened and you're thinking about the day before. So you text your mate and you text him and you say, lucky Herod's daughter didn't ask for your lands. Lucky she didn't ask for your lands. I mean, Herod has all this power, all this testosterone. It's his birthday. He makes these promises, but he can't keep John, whom he likes and respects, safe. You see, power is the ability to do what you intend to do. And Herod does not have it. His subjects are not safe. He couldn't keep John safe from his wife. He's trapped by his stupid promise. So it's very interesting, isn't it? Verse 20, Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So once a week, Herod comes up to the palace chapel in, I mean, John comes up to the palace chapel in chains and preaches and Herod sits there and is just stunned as he listens. People can't believe he's listening, but he is, he is hooked on what John is saying. But that doesn't stop verses 26 to 28 happen, happening. The king was greatly distressed at this horrific request, but he's trapped because of his oath and his dinner guests. He didn't want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an execution with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a dish some morning after. And I wonder what you think the moral of this story is. I mean, if you go to another of Herod's parties and he gets drunk again, what's the moral of the story? Surely it's this. As you go, make sure you bring your own body bag because that's how you might be going home. I've Googled them on Amazon. You can get a body bag, just so you know. But if you're going to Herod's party, my suggestion is you take a body bag because you don't know how you're coming home if he gets trapped and if he gets drunk. So you see how these passages are side by side. And of course, the question is, this is what's we're being asked, who do you want to be your king? Who do you want as your king? So let's keep that question in mind as we walk through this passage, um, uh, 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 as we begin here. And, and actually, as we start here, it's interesting. The contrast is not so much between Jesus and King Herod, but between Jesus and his disciples. In verse 30, as the disciples returned from a mission, they had been sent on uh, earlier in the chapter. And let's see what had happened earlier in the chapter. So verses 12 and 13, they went out and preached the people they should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. What a mission. I mean, it had been exhilarating. And now in verse 30, they're called apostles, the sent ones. And so they return and, and they report to him all that has happened. And they're full of excitement. And they gather around elated. But here's the problem. Uh, 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 then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So you see, they've come back to the debrief. But verse 31, that's what's going on. The disciples had been followed back by a huge crowd. This crowd had come back. And there were so many people coming and going, they don't have a chance to eat. And it's a vivid picture this huddle of, of Jesus' followers, Jesus in the middle, and the disciples constantly answering questions. Uh, can you imagine it? John, how can you love those people who aren't worth loving? Peter, 
What does this all mean for the non-Jews, the Gentiles? I mean, if this is who Jesus is, what, what does it mean for them? James, isn't this just a passage for the rich? Uh, a message for the rich? Thomas, how can you be sure of those things? Judas, where did you get all that money from? Judas, where did you get all the money from? They'd be the questions, wouldn't they? Uh, and the questions have been flying around and Jesus is trying to listen and the animated disciples are, are reporting back and he's trying to minister to people. But, but this bustling action could not go on, not if there was not even time to eat. So Jesus says, uh, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus says, time out. He says, we've got to get some rest. There's got to be time to sleep, time to eat, time to cool down, to regather your thoughts and energy. So Jesus and his disciples, can we look down verse 32? They head off to a solitary place. So that's where they're going. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Perhaps you can imagine the uh, sudden quiet and the relative solitude as this small group of 13 men head off in their boat. Out they go. And so there are sighs of relief as Peter, James and John get on, uh, on with the one thing they know most about, which is sailing a boat. So off they go. However... Verse 33, the peace of the boat trip is quickly shattered when they get to their solitary destination. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them. Uh, So the hunger for answers, the thirst for reality, the need for healing was too much for these people. And normally they would be heading for home for tea, for a meal, to have a wash, clean their teeth and watch the telly. But no, they've got such hunger for answers they're trying to work out what's going on and they've heard Jesus and they've heard he's an amazing teacher so people run to the surrounding towns and villages and 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 they say come on we know where they've gone let's go Uh, we can get there and 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 so that's what they're doing can you imagine them running come we'll get there we'll arrive first if we run come on now just about all of us would have been fairly impatient can we imagine it after a day like this, we'd have been impatient with exhaustion. What's the phrase? Peopled out. Peopled out. That would have what it would have been. And the disciples probably wanted to turn the boat around and head back into the middle of the lake. They'd have said, Jesus, let's just turn it around and we'll just hide in plain sight in the middle of the lake. If they want to talk to you, they can swim. <laughs> but verse 34, as war... Oh. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. As worn out as he was, something stirs in the heart of Jesus. Something stirs in his heart. Even more powerful than tiredness. And so we have verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, this crowd knew they weren't safe with Herod. He had stolen his brother's wife. He had executed the finest preacher in the land because of a young girl's foolish promise. They knew they weren't safe with with, with Herod. He was not a worthy shepherd. And the people knew they needed a shepherd to care for them. They wanted a trustworthy shepherd with answers to their questions. They knew they needed Jesus. And so Jesus didn't let them down, and he teaches them many things. Oh, 
he gets their thinking straight. When I first came to Jesus, it was like the, the headlights going on in a fog. I suddenly saw how life worked. I could see. And you see, Jesus has come into the world to pour himself out in service of others. And even though he must have been shattered with tiredness, he, 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 he doesn't give them a thought starter. Don't you think at this point he might have done a little thought starter? Something that they could think about as you go home. He said, hi, great to have you all here. Let me just give you a thought starter. Here are a couple of questions. Or why didn't he just recap a, a, a couple of things from the day? Or perhaps say, look, here's a little handout. Look, I've got a handout for you. I've just whipped them off. Uh, take that away. Why don't you read it and go? No, no, no. Can you see? He began to teach them many things. He began to teach them many things. He starts a whole new course of instruction. This shows us such an important feature of the heart of Jesus Christ. He is never unavailable. And if he had such endless compassion for people, then we can be sure that he has that compassion for you. He's got that compassion for you if he had it for them. That's what we have here. Jesus was there for them when they needed him. Uh, Thomas Goodwin uh, wrote this book, The Heart of Christ. It's a great little book because it's about my length. Can you see? A short little book. He lived from 1600 to 1680. He was a Puritan, and they are God's giants, the Puritans. And in this book, he wrote about the heart of Jesus in heaven to sinners on earth. And he insists in this book that Jesus, God's enthroned king in heaven, is even more accessible to you now than to the crowds then by his Holy Spirit. We don't have to run away to a solitary place in the middle of the night to speak to him. We can speak to him right now and have his undivided attention. That is what Goodwin insists upon. That's what we can have. So Jesus is never out of the office. He's never away on holiday. He's never in a meeting. Whenever anyone comes to him, he has tireless compassion, ladies and gentlemen. However, the disciples have a lot to learn before they share this compassion so they have had enough. Can you see verses 35 and 36? By this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away. Send them away, Jesus. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It's getting late. Have you seen Seed and a time. Now, there's been great excitement back in verse 30, but that has long since worn off. And they say, send them away. Please, send them away. Uh, unless they leave soon, the disciples won't get any rest or anything to eat. Get Jesus, have some boundaries. Have some boundaries. They wanted some peace and quiet, but Jesus and the crowd, they're back in 31. They're so preoccupied, they didn't have a chance to eat. And they were just absorbing many things. They were suddenly working out how life works as they listened to Jesus. Things were slotting into place. They can now be wise. And they've been taught. But the disciples send them away. Now, how can he? How can Jesus send these people away? They are sheep without a shepherd. And they have run to the good shepherd. They've run to the good shepherd. 
Herod isn't safe. They need a safe place. So Jesus challenges the disciples and he says something difficult to them. He says, you give them something to eat. You do it. Give them something to eat. The people needed help. They'd gone uh, without food to, to hear the truth. Well, the disciples evade the question. So do you see what they say in verse 37? It's pretty straight. They say, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Uh, uh, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? <laughs> They're not really playing ball, the disciples, are they? But Jesus, you see, is the good shepherd. He always gives all he can. He lays down his life for the sheep. And so uh, the Old Testament fulfillment of Jesus. So if you look back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament builds up and it builds a picture of what we should expect God's shepherd to be like. And in Ezekiel, we read these words in the Old Testament. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. He says, the teachers have failed you, but this shepherd will not, and I will do it through him, through this shepherd. So the sheep can lie down. And now Jesus has amazing compassion to the disciples too. He doesn't abandon them. Because they've been so selfish. I mean, come on, he should have sent them down to the job centre. He should have said, look, I'm sorry, you're sacked. I mean, they like the glory of going out to preach in verse 12, don't they? They like doing the miracles. They love the upfront stuff. But they won't even sort out some sandwiches or even try to. They don't want the mundane. They want the glory. Oh, we love the mission. But we're not doing the mundane. We're not going to just serve people. No, 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 we're not going to do that. But Jesus, you know, he doesn't send away these unfaithful under-shepherds. No, instead of feeding the crowds all on his own, which he could have done, you know, he could have done a sort of Dumbledore and, and magicked up the food. But no, instead of that, well, what does Jesus do? He brings the disciples in on what he's doing. He says, look, I've got all the power, but you can come in on it. You can have the privilege of being part of what I'm doing. <sighs> Even though you're hopeless. I'm going to let you do this, which I think is how I would sum up the last 29 years, if I'm honest. It is his work, but it's the most unbelievable privilege to be part of it. So he says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. He draws them in. Can you see verse 3? How many loaves do you have? And he continues to train them. He waits for his disciples to bring whatever food they can find. Well, they can only manage, it's pretty meager, five loaves and two fish. And according to John 6 verse 9, acquired from a little boy, the only person who had the sense to bring a pack lunch with him, or his mother made him pack it, I don't know, but he's the only one with anything. And as they hand these meager resources over, John's gospel tells us they are perplexed. They're like, they're looking at a massive crowd. They're like, well, Jesus, here you are. I mean, what could possibly be done with so little? But Jesus, he involves the disciples in his work. So he told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And we're told there are 5,000 men, verse 44. And the tiredness of the disciples is forgotten by verse 40 as they serve Jesus and carry on this organizational challenge. Verse 41, can we see as we look down taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. 
He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And now we see five loaves and two fish are more than enough to feed thousands and thousands of people at this picnic. More than enough. And he looks up to heaven with this single pack lunch and he gives thanks, not worrying or complaining that he has so little to work with. He gives thanks and his disciples are gathered around him and doubtless now their early excitement is returning. I mean, the adrenaline flow is amazing, which is just what it's been like working here for 29 years. It's just the constant adrenaline flow of seeing Jesus at work in people when one is so hopeless, but you see him doing something so profound. And as they give out what the sovereign Lord is giving them, so he breaks the bread and he hands it out to the disciples to distribute it. But the loaves don't run out. They don't run out. And Jesus just keeps doling it out and they're looking and he just keeps doling it out and doling it out and doling it out. Handful after handful after handful after handful so that thousands of people are being fed. I mean, can you imagine the... Wonder on the disciples' faces. Who is this? We've got five loaves and two fish. And he's fed all these people. And by the way, the non-Christian sources talk about these miracles. They say he was a doer of wonderful deeds. I mean, you've got to explain it. Some of them said he gets this power from the devil, but that he's doing this stuff, they don't question. And 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 and, and this, this little team, this little team part of it. And then I wonder if you can see verse 42, because this is an amazing verse about what Jesus does in a life. And what do you make of this? Because you see what it says. They all ate and were satisfied. <sighs> you see, those people who went to Herod's party, the gates of Buckingham Palace, don't you think they thought, now this will be satisfying? No one else can go. It's so exclusive. I have been invited. It's the most powerful men in the land. Now that is satisfying. And yet this Sunday school picnic, they were satisfied. And there's no careful rationing. It's an all-you-can-eat deal that we've got here. It's better than Pizza Hut. Bring your plate back every time. There's even enough for the starving students. Well, well, you know, they cannot exhaust the supply. In fact, verse 43, there was so much food left that the disciples were able to pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish that were left. And all they had at the start, it was so meager and pathetic, five loaves, two fish, but they have Jesus. They have Jesus. And that's the difference. It's not a problem for this king. He has absolute miracle working power, not to show off with, but verse 42, so that they can eat and be satisfied. And I say again, satisfied, ladies and gentlemen, is a very, very big word. It's a big word. The London cycle that I've seen over the last 30 years is people set their goals, they achieve them, they feel euphoria, and then there's an emptiness. And Jesus says, I will satisfy you. I'll satisfy you. And if I may say humbly, it has been unbelievably satisfying doing this work. Incredibly satisfying. Food here is an illustration of Jesus' promise. It's Jesus' offer, a purpose of life, a way of life that will satisfy. What do you think of this promise? What do you make of it? 
that will not leave you with a hangover the morning after. He has power, the power ultimately of the creator to produce food where there is none and to satisfy his creatures because they are designed to be satisfied by Jesus if God has made them for relationship with his son. That's the jigsaw piece. And here's the issue. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, you are safe because of the nature of the king. You see, in Herod's kingdom, you might die to keep the king looking royal. He made a stupid oath and he was too proud and too weak to say, I've been a fool. Of course you can't have John's head. Go to your room. That is ridiculous. Everyone, the party's over. I'm so sorry. I've been a fool. We are not killing John. But um, in Jesus' kingdom, can I say, you are safe. So later in the gospel, Mark 10, verse 45, says this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? Just as these passages are halfway side by side, here's the question. Can you imagine Herod's response to any threat to his power? Well, he's got an executioner who's available 24 hours a day. It's the middle of the night and the executioner is brought. So that is Herod's response to a threat to his power. It is off with their heads. God's response to our treason is to send his son to serve and give his life as a ransom for many to take the penalty for our treason in God's world. So Jesus makes an offer of rescue that is utterly unroyal. He puts himself on the cross. He denigrates himself. He is naked and he is crucified. But he does call us to repent. He says, will you trust me to lead you? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for your wrongdoing. Now, will you trust me to know what's best? And you see, as we look down, Herod has a problem. What is Herod's problem? Here's Herod's problem. He won't repent. So he listens to John. And he is, we learn as we look down, can we see what happens when he listens to John? Verse 20, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When he, he was greatly puzzled as he heard him. I mean, he loves hearing John, but the issue is he will not repent. John says, that is your brother's wife. You must repent. And he won't. He knows he's a righteous and holy man, but he will not change. And it has been agony here in London to look at so many who won't change, who won't trust Jesus to know what's best. They can see he's died on the cross. They can see he's Lord of all. But like Herod, they won't change. So, of course, the question is, will you trust Jesus to be your shepherd king? Will you trust him? The best decision I made in my life was to say, no, I trust you, Lord Jesus. I'm trusting you. To let him feed you, to let him satisfy you, to allow him to die for you and trust him to know what's best. Madness not to do so. So as uh, we close, I just would like to finish with a little prayer. And for some people, tonight will be the night to do it.
just to trust Jesus, follow him, know that he died for you, ask him to lead you. So here's a prayer as we close. Lord Jesus Christ, let me say it and then I'll say it slowly. Thank you that you came to die so that I could be forgiven my sin. Please help me to trust you to be my shepherd king and to turn away from all that you say is wrong. Thank you that you're always with me by your Holy Spirit. Which party do you want to go to? Herod's or the picnic with Jesus? That's the choice. Let me say the prayer slowly now, phrase by phrase. Let's pray. And if it's right for you, then oh, please echo it in your own heart and come to the Shepherd King. So here it is. I'll say it phrase by phrase. If it's right for you, why not echo it in your own heart? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you came to die so that I could be forgiven my sin. Please help me to trust you to be my shepherd king and turn away from all that you say is wrong. Thank you that you're always with me by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.